BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, good morning and welcome here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. I wish I was doing better. I am a big diet-in-the-wool Kansas City fan, and I have been using this to wipe away my tears. Uh, this sad, heartbreaking loss that happened last night between Kansas City. And why does Tom Brady deserve another ring? I don't understand. I think a lot of Americans feel this way. Tom Brady won a 31-9 victory over my Kansas City Chiefs, and I am heartbroken about this. I don't know how you feel. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Carrie Sheffield. This happened last night. It really was a blowout. I mean, they held him to single digits. It was pretty incredible. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about this and so much more with a new congressman, a brandly newly minted congressman from the great state of Utah, also my home state. I claim Missouri and Utah, two home states. And he joins me here on set, Congressman Burgess Owens. Good morning, Congressman. Good morning, Carrie. Look forward to chatting with you. For yeah. Sure. So you are a former NFL member. And what was your read on it? Because I, I know that you have some strong feelings about the NFL, but what was your take on the game? I didn't get a chance to watch it. I'm, um, I'm one of those guys who have decided to, I'm done with NFL for a while. I, one thing that I remember about NFL, and I said the same thing about the military, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an arena of meritocracy, and you forget about all the other stuff that doesn't matter, but just make sure you're, you're providing the best you can on the field. And it was always, some, always something that brought, up, brought, brought the fans together. So what's happened the last uh, few years in which it's been used as a dividing factor, I've just kind of given up on it for now. So until they fire uh, Godell, I'm going to be sitting on the sideline, not watching, but talking about it after it's all said and done. Yeah, well, you even put a tweet about this. You said, sorry, guys, kind of out of this one, boycotting until the NFL fires <laughs> the America divider Goodell. What would he have to do? To get your trust back, let's say they don't want to fire him. Is there anything Goodell could do to win you back? Uh, yeah, I think the NFL should just have him leave. Uh, we, you know, we've kind of put up this for, for way too long. Every election <clears throat> for the last two years, we have this divisiveness that happens. The one thing that America loves, we love to have those things in common that brings us together. We can cheer the flag, the anthem, uh, the NFL, the NBA. It doesn't matter what, what, what team you're on, what, what your policies are, you just will have to come together and root for your team. Those are things that unite us, and, and uh, for them to take that away from us, make it political, is something I just don't have the tolerance for at this point. Mm, so you don't like what's happening with the kneeling? You don't think that, <clears throat> well, so the argument you hear from people who support it, they say, hey, they're just protesting the fact that you have racial injustice in America. What's wrong with that? Well, <clears throat> um, use another venue or use another time. What we don't do is we don't attack those things that do bring us together. Uh, my dad was World War II vet, and he was so proud to have served his, 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 uh, uh, his country. Uh, there's over 100,000 black Americans that went to World War II during a time of true uh, uh, social injustice or uh, segregation, but yet they understood the, the promise of, of our forefathers, and they made the best of it. They came back and, and, and built the greatest, uh, of the fastest growing middle class in our country. And, and so what we have to understand is there's some good things. Many, most of the things we've done is a good thing. We've, we have a country that 
unlike any others, given us the opportunity to live, to live the American dream. And we need to highlight that. If we're teaching our kids to do, do nothing but look at the, the worst of ourselves, then we don't, uh, we don't move forward. So no, we have certain things that have always brought, together, brought us together, our worship of God, no matter which way we do so, our flag, our great history. And when we start taking those things away, you start dividing us. Uh, entertainment should not be part of the division, the divisive part of it, for sure. So interesting, you said that you don't want people to be thinking about the worst part of themselves, and that's something that <clears throat> former President Trump had said, that when a country will lose its confidence unless it believes in its history and it believes in its principles. Well, think about this, and it's important to recognize that everyone, uh, we, you know, our country's not great because we, oh, it's not perfect, as you say. It is great. It's not perfect because we're not perfect. Each one of us have, have things we would love if we had not done, we made mistakes. Every single one of us would like to move forward and become better with it. That's where our country should be. For any of us to look back on the worst things we've ever done, focus on that, only think about that, we will never move forward. We'll never risk take. We'll never think that we can be better. So this is the country's second chances. It's proven that way. And the more we talk about the greatness of my particular race and what we did during those toughest of times is the more it gives people to realize that if we could do it, anyone can do it. And this is what that, that's what this country really should be all about and reconciliation and forgiveness too. Congressman, I want to turn to another topic. We've got some sound here from one of your colleagues, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, take a listen. But the notion of you coming here lecturing us on your first day before this committee, it's not about words, it's about actions. You know what? Explain your actions on January 7th when you supported an insurrection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they wouldn't give you a chance to respond to this. You tried to respond. You were bringing up a bill that would have started the meetings, your committee meetings, with the Pledge of Allegiance. That was shot down. Mm -hmm. But not only was it shot down, you then got a lecture, too. What would you say in response, since they didn't let you respond? Well, it's a couple things. Uh, I didn't think it was a lecture when I talked about the greatness of my race. That's what I talked about, how well we have done, how uh, the fact that uh, this, this, this great country gave my parents a chance to do great things, including my great-great-grandfather came here as, as a slave. Uh, so it was not a lecture, it was a, a, a little bit of a history. Uh, and I think it's kind of rich, to be honest with you, uh, when we see that uh, we objected to, to two states. I came out of Pennsylvania. The reason I did so because I understand Pennsylvania. I know that it's a place that has a lot of problems with this. Uh, but the, this is what's interesting is that the year 2016, seven of the states, seven states were objected to by the Democrats. So uh, I think I'm glad he, he recognized it wasn't rex, er, insurrection to, to, to object. Obviously what happened on the 6th was a, was a terrible thing to do, and those who did it should pay the price. But at the end of the day, we should be having conversations about our flag, our God, and being able to worship him, and so far they've, they've nixed both. Uh, the, so, so we have to make sure we so, but it seems there. like he's lumping them together. He's saying that you supported an insurrection because you voted to challenge, but you're saying these are very different things. Two separate things, and that's, that was what one of my colleagues said earlier. Why are we even talking about the sixth or seventh when we were talking about where we should stand for the flag? They stay on one topic at a time. Right now, the flag is what we're discussing. They decided not to pledge the flag. We then talked about uh, keeping uh, so help me God in, 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 our, in our process and decided against that. We cannot lose those things that keeps us focused on our culture, our flag, our God, our country, and our history. Mm. So let's talk about the Republican Party. So uh, Matt Gates, Congressman from Florida, tweeted this out. He says, uh, in reply to a tweet that says, Kevin McCarthy vouched for Liz Cheney. Everything she says is on him. Kevin put it all on the line for Liz. Matt Gates says, every House Republican knows it. What do you think is going to happen? What do you want to see happen with Liz Cheney? Well, what we've shown is that we have a big tent. Um, uh, our goal right now is to make sure that as a party, 
uh, as a conference, we can move forward and focus on those things that really impact the American people. The American people right now are hurting. We want our jobs. We want to make sure our kids are back in school. We want our vaccine. And as, as our new president is, is tearing down so many jobs and so many opportunities and, and putting us in a box in terms of even letting people come across the border now that are COVID infected, we have no idea who they are. Those are the kind of things we need to make sure that uh, we can do not allow to continue to happen. So I think right now we're in a good place. We're moving forward. We've had our conference. We've had our ability to, to, to discuss this with each other. It's like any other family. Now we're moving forward to make sure the American people are doing well. All right. Stay with us. We'll be right back. More with the Congressman. Stay tuned. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey there, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and so glad you're with us. Joined here again by the Congressman from the great state of Utah, Congressman Burgess Owens. Congressman, we were just talking about the future of the Republican Party and the path forward. And over the weekend, Donald Trump Jr. said in response to this interview that Liz Cheney, so see, we, we were talking about the reconciliation. So you said the big tent thing, you had the closed door meeting where they, you, know, you embraced both Marjorie Taylor Greene and Liz Cheney and said, hey, we're one big happy family. Then Liz Cheney goes out on TV and goes and lambasts former President Trump. Then in response, Donald Trump Jr. says, he tells Politico, he's gearing up for a trip to Wyoming to take on Cheney. And he says, quote, I hear it's lovely during primary season. So what about this feud? Do you think it's the Republican Party is going to put it behind you? I, I think the Republican Party, I know our conference is much bigger than what this, this tit for tat. I really do. Uh, you know, we, we care about the American people. We care about what's going on out there, the, the, the misery that's being um, placed on us with some of these new policies. I can promise you this, that the conference itself will be focused on the American people. We're going to be positive. There's going to be a contrast. And I think that's going to be good for, for, for American people. We the people see that there's a difference in each side. One is divisive, dark, and 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 shutting things down. The other one is say, let's open things up. Let's live the American dream. Let's take risks. Let's be smart. But we can get that done because that's who we are. So I think that's going to be the, the real difference here. And, uh, and the American people drift toward the light. So we, in the next two years, will see a drift toward the way we, we message, the way we focus, and we'll come together as a, as a strong team. And 2022 will show the difference of, of uh, our approach versus the Democrats' approach. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your senator from your state, Senator <coughs> Romney. So Senator Romney has proposed a new bill. He said he wants to have monthly payments for family with children. He says under the proposal, the existing child tax credit will be replaced with monthly premiums of $350 for children under age 5 and under $250 for children ages 6 to 17. Families will be capped at monthly payments of $1,250. Um, what's your take on this? Because it sounds a lot like a proposal from the Democrats. So the Democrats came up with their own proposal. They said they want to have, this is a Washington Post reporting, that they want to have $3,000 per child, a benefit under the Biden stimulus. Um, it sounds a lot like what the Democrats want, what Romney's saying here. Is this just another form of welfare from Romney, or what's your take on well, this? Well, it's nothing but welfare. And at the end of the day, it comes down to this. There's a $27 trillion uh, uh, we're in a hole right now in a big way. Our debt is going crazy. And these, these kids we're now talking about giving money away for free will have to pay back not only their, their debt, but ours that we're laying on top of them. So now we have to start being a little smarter. Uh, I mean, I, I love the fact that, I mean, the Democrats are really showing who they are. They want to just 
take the federal money, takes our taxpayers and give it to everyone, but that's not who we are. We, we allow the people to figure out how, what their dreams are, what they want, they pay the price, and when they get there and they get their, their dreams accomplished, they can, they can appreciate what they've done because they've paid the price to get that done. So, so no, I, I, uh, I don't think that's going to go very far, um, and I don't think the American people will put up with it either. So you disagree with Romney's proposal? I do, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to him about it? I haven't. <clears throat> I haven't. I uh, just uh, I just hearing it for the first time here. But uh, I, I read it this morning or last night about the Democrats' proposal, and I didn't agree with it then because it's not up for government to give uh, people, kids or parents, that's something that they have not earned. Let the parents let the parents work that out. We've done it for, for all these years. We figured out a way to make sure our kids can not only grow up, prosper. Uh, we work our way so we can pass things down to them. It's not up to the American people to do that for them. Well, and uh, the Democrats say they want it to be stimulus-targeted, so more <coughs> narrow. But uh, as Ronald Reagan said, the closest thing to eternal life is a government program. So uh, let's talk about one of your first bills. Well, your first bill, a piece of legislation. You, tw- you tweeted about it. You said you just, in- you just introduced your first piece of legislation. The Education Freedom Scholarships and Opportunity Act expands common-sense approaches to diverse opportunities for students in Utah across and across the country. What exactly? Is this bill? I'm so excited about this because uh, again, my dad was a college educator. I grew up in a room in a home where academia was everything, and that's where we're losing our our way. Our kids are not being educated. We have uh, 75% of the black boys in the state of California cannot pass standard reading and writing tests. This allows uh, corporations and independents and corporations and corporations and individuals to be able to get tax credits by putting together scholarships. It doesn't come out of the uh, the taxpayer pocket. Uh, it's, 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 it's handled and uh, implemented on the state level, um, and nonprofits have a chance to distribute it. So it's, it's a win-win across the board, but kids who do not have options that are poor can now go to a K through 12 or go through a, um, a vocational school. It's all about non So this is, this is a voucher program? It's a, it's, it's a scholarship for, non, for non-public schools, and it does not come out of, the, out of the, the taxpayer pocket. So the voucher in the past was coming out of taxpayer this here is, is, is a whole different process where we, the people, can decide just what we want, what we want to give ourselves to get a tax credit for it. At the same time, those, those children who have not had options in the past finally get their choice. It's a win-win across the board. No one should be against this one, particularly when we have so many at-risk children, rural and black communities and brown communities that are falling behind in a big way. Why not be able to focus our energies for those who want to give to those who can take scholarships, break that cycle of poverty, move forward, and then they can give back one day. So you're saying it's private money that would get a tax credit, so that would be the incentive for them Exactly, to do it. exactly. How are you going to get the Democrats on board? Because it seems that Joe Biden would have been much more receptive to this before, but he's been pulled to the left. Well, it comes down to this. Uh, we've always, in our state, shows that Utah is a re- remarkable state in terms of what we've done with education, uh, and that's because we've given parents choices. You go to places... Um, Brooklyn, we talked about uh, uh, earlier, Brooklyn, or go to any, any place that, that we do not have choices and kids are, uh, are forced to stay in failing schools, you see intergenerational poverty, misery, and anger of who we are. So as up to us, ignorant and free can never be, is what Thomas Jefferson said. We need to make sure we're educating our children to think critically, to know our history, to be proud of who we are. We get that done, our next generation will be much better than the last. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned choice in Utah because Utah, uh, Utah's school just announced that it will no longer allow parents to opt out of a Black History Month curriculum. So apparently there had been a plan to allow for uh, families to opt out of Black History Month. Do you agree with 
should families be allowed to opt out of Black History Month? <clears throat> well, I think what happened here is it shows the system. First of all, I am so proud of my history, and that's where you can hear me. Whenever you're going to be with me, you'll hear my <clears throat> a little bit about what I feel about our background because it's important to recognize how much respect we should have for each other and we've overcome. Uh, at the end of the day, this is what sh this is what happens when the system works. What happens is there's blowback. There's blowback. Those who want to be successful want to for, for kids to come to their school. They will make the changes they need to make. In this case, they made the right. The right they made the right choice, allowing our children to not only know our American history but our Black history. The key now is to make sure that curriculum is done in the correct way. I'm, not, I'm most concerned about the curriculum our kids are being taught now, that uh, is against our, our American history and against our country versus the fact it's being taught. We have to make sure it's taught correctly, and that's, mm. that's what it's on top of. Now, I know you've, you've talked a lot about race issues, and I'm really curious, <clears throat> real quick, we've seen a spike in ownership of guns, so 56% spike among black Americans who bought a gun last year. I've talked to someone who said that it was because of defund the police, that a lot of <clears throat> black Americans feel like they're unsafe now, that their community, hey, they've got to protect themselves if the police aren't going to be there. Do you agree with that? It's, uh, it's a matter of what we all believe, and I don't care what color we are, we want safety. I don't really, it doesn't matter what our background, our culture, we all have that same instinct of safety. And when you're, when you're in the communities where, uh, first of all, it's, it's, it's crime is high, and then we have the Democratic Party saying defund the police, of course, people are going to say, well, I want to make sure that I'm protecting myself. If I can't depend on someone else, can't depend on the police department or whoever it might be, I'm going to make sure I'm taking that into my own hands. And I think it's a very important lesson. We should all be able to recognize no one else is going to be responsible for our safety. We should all think about what can I do to make sure, as particular as a... As a father, one thing I want to make sure of is my children, my wife, we're going to be careful, we'll be safe and secure no matter what else happens. We should all take that same responsibility, and I think that's what you're finding in the black community today. All right. I think a lot of people will agree with you on that. Congressman, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kara. Appreciate it. Stay with us. We have Eric Metaxas, the radio host, coming up right after the break. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad that you're here with us. Joining me is the host of the Eric Metaxas radio show and also the lecture series called Socrates in the City. And most importantly, he has a new book that's coming out. It's called Fish Out of Water, A Search for the Meaning of Life. This is a memoir for the early years of Eric Metaxas and a little excerpt about this. He says he reveals a personal story few have heard taking us from his mostly happy childhood and riotous triumphs at Yale to the nightmare of drifting toward a dark abyss of meaningless from which he barely escapes. You said, uh, Eric says, he says, my search for the meaning of life had an arc that I absolutely could not appreciate at the time. Everyone's story is different, but we are all on a journey, even when we don't know it. This is the truly crazy story of how I found what I wasn't even sure existed. And yes, it's true. Hey, Eric, so what was crazy? You said great, truly crazy story. What, what about your story was crazy? First of all, there. Uh, thanks for having me, Carrie. There are so many funny stories, insane, truly insane stories in my story. And I've wanted to write them for years. I mean, I'm mainly a writer. And I, you know, when you're writing the story about whether it's Martin Luther, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, William Wilberforce, whoever it is, you know, you're, you're telling their story. My story 
is so nuts. And so, some of the stories are, are, are extremely funny. And I only wanted to tell them because I think they're entertaining and revealing and so on and so forth. The larger story uh, is, is just, I want people to know that, you know, not everybody is on some big search for God. I was just drifting through life, good kid, raised in the church without ever really understanding, is this definitely real? And so I kind of tell it from the point of view of where I was at the time um, so that everyone can see God is real and he's there, even if you don't know it. Now, I didn't get to know it for sure until around my 25th birthday, but there were some dark times when I went to Yale University for the first time. I'm a, a working class kid. My parents are European immigrants. For the first time, I'm confronted with what we think of today as the secular cultural elite, the people with the money and the influence who don't really, they don't have the heartland values or the patriotic values that I grew up with. My parents came from Europe and they loved America. They were thrilled to be in the United States of America. And so I grew up with that. And when I went to Yale, I was confronted with this whole other point of view, which in some ways was communicating life really has no meaning. We're not going to go there. We, we don't talk about truth and God and stuff. We just try to have a good time, be successful. Don't think about the big questions. So some of it is very funny, but some of it is very telling. And so what's a, the, what's a, give us like a little snippet if you can, what, like what's one of the crazy stories? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, a lot of people I've heard, you've heard crazy stories about Italian Americans growing up. We all know that world. We've seen, you know, Jewish Americans. We've seen that crazy world in movies. The Greek experience has not been told, except maybe in, you know, uh, the, the, the big, the big fat, fat Greek wedding. A little bit of a cartoon version. You know, my version is kind of the real thing. I went to Greek, Greek parochial school. I never quite was, the reason the title of the book is Fish Out of Water, well, two reasons. The ending where God comes in, fish out of water comes very clear what that means. But even before that, I always kind of felt like a fish out of water because my mom's from Germany. And here I am in a Greek environment where all the kids speak Greek at home and they eat Greek food, and whatever. And I never felt Greek enough. I was always a little bit, you know, uh, too German or too something. And so some of the, the funny stories, some of them are actually embarrassing. I won't tell them on the air, but... <laughs> Most of them, I think, involved my dad because my dad was, and listen, my dad, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that I still have him. And that's him on the cover of the book. My mother took that picture when they were on a date at the Statue of Liberty in 1958. But a lot of the stories are just weird stories, immigrant stories that where, where my dad didn't understand stuff. Like we went to a McDonald's and my brother and I go up and we order. And my father says, eh give me one whooper. And my brother and I just died. Like we wanted to move to the linoleum. Cause we're like, dad, whoppers are at Burger King and it's not pronounced whooper. You know, all these embarrassing stories. That's a mild one, I promise you. Yeah, the, no, that's good, that's good. So what, what, what was this experience? Uh, so so when, you, when you say that you were in a, a dark abyss, was that just the secularism that was pressing on you or yeah. how did that manifest itself? What was happening in your life? Well, it's interesting. I, I think part of what my story is that I grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, which was a wonderful community. But somehow, because we had this like cavalcade of priests leaving and coming and going, and some of that is funny too, but I won't go into it. But honestly, I never got the download on, is this real? You know, at Easter, we say, Christos Anesti, Christ is risen. 
do we really believe that? Is there proof? That I, by the time I went to Yale, I was confronted with a really hostile secularism that says that's fairy tales. That's not true. And nobody knows about the meaning of life and God. That's people, you know, in flyover country that are crazy enough to think you can believe that stuff. But we know we're sophisticated. We know that, you know, you just don't go there. Uh, the meaning of life is that we evolved out of the primordial soup randomly by accident. And here we are. And that kind of began to get to me. And when I graduated, I always joke around that. I think what, what places like Yale try to do is they say like, hey, we don't have good answers for this. In fact, our answers are incredibly depressing. So we're not going to talk about it. And when you graduate, get a really good job. And then you'll be distracted for a few decades. On the weekends, you'll have like sports and alcohol. And we'll get through this in a few decades. Just don't think about the answers. Don't think about the big questions about the meaning of life. And of course, I was an English major. So I did not get a good job. I wanted to be a writer. <laughs> And so I floated and drifted and I had a lot of time to think about this. And it really got dark for me where I really was wondering, can you know if life has meaning? Can you know if there's a God that loves us? I don't think you can even know. And it just took me to a dark, to, to a really dark place. I mean, I've suffered from depression my whole life and stuff. And this was a season um, before my 25th birthday where I ended up, I always joke around that if you graduate college and then you don't know what you want to do and you float and you drift, inevitably you will move back in with your parents. Like there's no way around it. And that's what happened to me. And if your parents are working class European immigrants who worked menial jobs to send you to Yale, it's not going to be a fun time. And Great job, are, Eric. Hey, uh, Eric, real quick, just while we have you here, I want to get your take on the impeachment trial because there's new evidence. Our founder, John Solomon, just wrote a piece today showing that the growing evidence that the Capitol attack was pre-planned undercuts the Trump impeachment premise. There's emerging evidence raising questions about whether the FBI and other security agencies acted proactively enough to thwart the violence. Do you think any of this new evidence makes any difference for Democrats to say this was all pre-med Meditated. They knew that this was going to happen, and there's evidence possibly that Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi turned down the extra security when they should have actually taken it. Well, let me say this. It doesn't matter what the Democrats think. If this is true, and I suspect it is, and I suspect there are more things that are true that are going to come out, the Democratic Party is going to pay for this forever. This is not the sort of thing that Americans are going to take lightly. When you take an event like this and you use it, like the Reichstag fire in my Bonhoeffer book, you use it without even processing it, without even figuring out what really happened, who killed whom, who was behind it. Before you do that, you jump to the conclusion that, oh, this is caused by Trump supporters who are all violent, who must be watched. We want the Bank of America. By the way, everybody in America should take their money out of the Bank of America and write them a letter. And we have done something, we've allowed something so despicable to be done where they demonized everyone in America who voted for this president. That is the definition of anti-American. When this stuff comes out, the Democrats are gonna be very sorry they did. All right, Eric Metax says we'll leave it right there. Thanks so much. We'll be right Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Hey, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Joining me is Diana Muller. She is founder of the DC Project. It advocates for women who want gun rights. Good morning, Diana. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about women and guns. So, well, first of all, gun sales have hit a record high in January, and this continues what we saw in 2020. There was a surge. The gun sales had already been soaring amid uncertainty over the coronavirus pandemic, a severely styled economy, and protests over police brutality. Also concerns, from what I've heard, uh, of black Americans who are worried about defunding the police and leaving their neighborhoods exposed. So lots of reasons why gun ownership is up, and the National Shooting Sports Foundation found that 40% of these gun sales for first-time gun buyers are women. So why are so many women buying guns? We know that in 2020, there are 8.4 million first-time gun buyers in 2020. Why are there so many women buying guns right now? Well, I think you pretty well covered it. I mean, we've seen what our country has gone through in the past year and uh, we've seen the riots and, and really it's the lawlessness, the, the lawlessness. And then in tandem with that, that defund the police issue is really making citizens realize that, hey, I am my own first responder. I am responsible for my own safety. And women are definitely uh, aware of that. And there's a lot of women who live on their own. So I think it makes complete sense that if you are intellectually honest with yourself, that that a firearm is the great equalizer. Firearms are women's rights. And you're seeing that when women come and purchase. So when it comes to the women who are buying these guns, who are they? Do we know where are they from? Urban areas, rural areas, or kind of everything in between? Well, I don't think that there's a statistical way to figure out that, but I can tell you what we have in the DC project is women for gun rights. And we have a true cross-sectionality of the United States of America. Uh, we have people, uh, we have rich, poor, young, old, black, white, Asian, Latina. We have trans, we have, I mean, it's literally uh, the women that are that's so diverse in just our little group that that's what you're seeing, I'm sure, across America is the diversity continues there. It's, it's, and I love uh, Maj Ture with Black Guns Matter. Uh, he's taking the Second Amendment back to the urban environments and the black communities. So you're seeing a huge rise in black ownership. And because you know why? Because the Second Amendment is for everybody. And it's not a partisan issue. It's a constitutional issue. And we need to get back to that, that we can all agree on the Constitution. And right now what you're seeing is a lot of people that are wanting to rewrite the Constitution and not listen to how our founding fathers really wanted this country to be executed. So you yourself, you're a two-time national three-gun champion and professional shooter. How did you get into guns and how, do be how does one become a professional shooter? Well, it's, uh, it's not, not something that I planned. Honestly, I was a police officer for 22 years and I picked it up as a hobby and then transitioned it into being a, a basically a second career and uh, added with the Second Amendment advocacy. I uh, definitely have my plate full. <laughs> so we were talking about your DC project, how it's a counter to Moms Demand Action uh, on the you know the side of more gun control. So what do you guys do when you're? How do you 
specifically push back on narratives because for the moms who are on on the other side they're saying oh this is easy you take away guns you have fewer school shootings how do you guys respond to that well we respond with education not legislation is the key to safety uh, and we are the firearms experts. We are professional shooters. We are people who are in the firearms community. So we understand how education is going to be the key. Um, and for a long time, I don't believe that we've had anybody really countering the mom voice. And there are moms out there that are just as passionate about protecting their family and protecting themselves. So that's really why the DC project is important now is because it does give a counter voice to what the legislators are getting hammered with, what our schools are getting hammered with. You know, it's really going to be up to firearms owners and constitutionally sound people to run for office and to take, you know, take those school board positions back and give that constitutionally sound, which includes the second amendment, uh, give those give our communities a chance to hear a different narrative. All right, so when it comes to, I mean, so many people are buying guns, uh, presumably some in blue states too, and you even had during the primary, Senator Bernie Sanders got some fire because he had supported gun rights in the past. He's from Vermont, which is uh, in some ways a very libertarian, you know, gun pro-gun rights states. Do you think that the Democrats are going to face some pressure here because there's so many more new gun owners? Well, I hope so. And I absolutely know that there are Democrats. And that's one of the things that I didn't mention. There are Democrats. We have liberals and we have conservatives in the D.C. project. So that's another form of the diversity that we show. But this is definitely up to the, you know, right now with all of the pressure. And it's almost a marketing campaign. It's not almost. It is a marketing campaign. They have been using our schools and our movies and our propaganda machines and our media to teach people that guns are bad and gun owners are bad, and that's not the case. So it's really gonna be up to our liberal colleagues here in the gun community to go back to these democratic um, and anti-gun legislators and say, hey, this is, we don't, we support you 100% in everything else, but not the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is a constitutional issue. Uh, and when that comes from, uh, when it, you know, you can speak to your own community easier than anybody from the outside can speak to that community. So we're really up, uh, you know, I'm, I love to have liberal and democratic uh, gun owners join these groups and join our voice. All right, Diana Muller, thanks so much. Thank you. Stay tuned, we got the man who ran in California against Maxine Waters, stay tuned. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this, central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hey there, good morning. Welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here. Well, you might have seen Joe Collins in a viral ad. He was the Republican nominee for California's 43rd district. Joe is a retired U.S. Navy officer and he took a little stroll by Maxine Waters' home, which was incredibly expensive. You can see he's out there in front of the mansion, a more than $6 million mansion for Maxine Waters. 
but it wasn't even located inside the district. And that ad went viral. A lot of people put this put Joe Collins on the map because of it. And Joe is joining me here this morning to talk about what's next. Good morning, Co Congressman Woodby, <laughs> Cong congressional candidate Joe Collins. Uh, and you've just mentioned that you're you're going to run again in 2022. Yes, we are. We did a lot of great work in uh, in the 43rd Congressional District, actually getting people to start trusting Republicans when we didn't have a Republican uh, presence in that district. So, yes, we are running again. So you're definitely running again. And you were mentioning, so you're challenging the results. Why are you doing this? Walk us through it. Well, because this is the first time that we've had this type of voter turnout and, you know, we know that they didn't verify any signatures. We know that there is a lot of irregularities when it comes to the mail-in voting. I don't mind losing, but I do mind being cheating. And, you know, I just want to know what the real numbers were. I want to know if the county of Los Angeles did their jobs when it came to uh, verifying signatures, verifying addresses, ensuring that people who voted illegally vote didn't get taken in this time. So what's been the next step or what's the status of the lawsuit? Uh, we're waiting for a court date. I think we go to court in May. And so, you know, we have a little bit of time there. So do you think there was some um, illegal behavior here? Absolutely. It's California. I mean, you got to think the, the most illegal things happen in California, um, even from illegals getting, you know, our taxpayers dollars from, you know, mail-in balance and allowing people who have an ID to, to be able to vote. And we know California has this motor voter system to where they allow illegal immigrants to get, you know, driver's license and they automatically register them to vote. And that's not, um, you know, in, in harmony with the Constitution. Well, it's interesting uh, because one thing in California that's not legal is going to church that uh, Governor Newsom is trying to restrict this. He's been restricting churches for a long time. We've had people on this uh, show who are pastors in California and a divided Supreme Court late on Friday night blocked California from imposing an outright ban on indoor church services during the pandemic. But the justices kept in place for the time being capacity limits and a ban on singing and chanting. So this is a victory in the sense that now they can go have indoor services because before they were only saying you could do it outdoors. Uh, what do you think is the next step here? Do you think that the churches are going to keep pushing to be able to sing uh, and to be able to have more people there? I think the churches need to push to help us get Gavin Newsom out of office. That's the only way we're going to be able to, uh, you know, enjoy our religious freedoms. Gavin Newsom has had this, this nap for violating the Constitution and violating our rights that are protected by the Constitution. So the only way to restore California back to greatness is to remove Gavin Newsom from office and get somebody in office who will, you know, abide by the Constitution and will allow us to use our our freedoms that are protected by the Constitution. So, I mean, this this uh, recall is is very much moving from the realm of possibility to probability, according to one of the organizers. There, the uh, 1.4 million signatures um, have been cast or have been signed. You need 1.495709 million. So, um, they're getting pretty close here. Do you think that this is going to get over the, the finish line, at least to get them on the ballot? Because then you first have to get on the ballot, and then you actually have to have the vote. Yes, absolutely. My campaign, we've came on board uh, the recall efforts as well with a recall road trip. We're traveling up and down California from San Diego to Sacramento, uh, collecting signatures and giving it that push that it needs to get over the finish line. So it's absolutely going to happen. All right, but let's say you get it on the ballot. How are you going to, because I've seen polls that said that, yeah, Californians don't love what he's doing, but it seems like right now a majority don't want to get him removed. 
Yeah, I, I haven't, you know, been the person to trust polls, but I do know that Californians are hurting. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent. Everyone out here is struggling except for illegal immigrants. And so uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of business owners that have shut down um, has gotten sick of that. And so I think that once it gets on the ballot, uh, we'll, we'll get the votes that we need in order to be able to remove them. So what do you think is going to be the next step? It's, so he gets removed. Are you going to, there's the former mayor of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, who has declared he wants to run for governor. Do you support him? I think he's a, he's a great guy, and I think he will be a great choice of governor. The only cause of concern that I have is while he was mayor of San Diego, the homeless was still an issue, and it's still an issue now. And so when it comes to running for governor, we don't want somebody who's just a great guy. We want somebody who has solutions to solve the problems that we need. All right. So let's talk through kind of the nuts and bolts of the recall. Who's organizing this? Is it, It's mainly Republicans who are organizing this, right? The Republicans organized it, but right now we're working on a bipartisanship effort. We're working with Democrats and independents as well as Republicans in order to collect the stimulus that we need. So it started off as Republicans, uh, you know, on this movement, we got sick of everything first. And then the organizers, they wanted the, uh, the, the political leaders to step up and, and, and get involved. And so my campaign, we did that as well. And uh, hopefully other people get involved. But it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats, independents. Everybody who's sick of Gavin Newsom is getting involved. Do you think when he went to that French laundry restaurant, do you think that was really the straw that broke the camel's back, that it was regulations for thee, but not for me? I would like to, th I like to say it was, but I think people were getting sick of Gavin Newsom uh, way longer than that. I think it was California becoming a hotbed for coronavirus, the infection rates going up, the death rates going up, and a lack of transparency on the reason why Gavin Newsom was making the decisions he was making to keep us locked down. Hmm. Well, you're going to keep an eye on this one. Joe Collins, thanks so much. Come back and keep us posted. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, folks, that does it right now. We will be right back with just a little bit more on the Super Bowl. Stay tuned. Hey there, welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and as you can see, I am sporting my Kansas City Chiefs shirt. Chiefs all the way to the end, baby. Hashtag Chiefs Nation. Uh, it was just a heartbreaking loss, and we're going to keep talking about 2020, which is when we were victorious. We'll always have 2020, right? Uh, so uh, my family got into the game spirit yesterday. You can see I brought a couple pictures. My cute little nephew, you can see him. This is before the game. Um, I don't have many photos of him after the game where he was crying, but uh, his name is Franklin Clark, actually, which happens to be the same name of one of the Kansas City football stars also. Um, that's his middle name, and you can see he's just adorable. And there he is with his daddy as well. They were all smiles uh, right before the game, and then uh, the unthinkable happened. Tom Brady, uh, he came through and got his seventh ring. My brother has a theory about this, actually. He says he thinks that this had to do with a franchise uh, that the NFL was basically trying to have their own Michael Jordan, that it's all predetermined, that it was all rigged. Uh, and the fact that it's even called football, I just learned this fact, is that the ball itself is about a foot long. And it's not about using your foot to kick it, necessarily. It's about the length of the football. Um, except for if you're Tom Brady, you can inflate or deflate it however you want. And if you saw the refs and what they were doing last night, you saw how biased they were. I mean, the refs 
last night were basically how the liberal media is to the Republican Party, biased in every single way possible. Um, Patrick Mahomes, he still kept the heart, um, and he's so young. He's only 25. So I uh, expect to see him wearing at least 10 rings. That's going to be my uh, prediction for you. All right, stay tuned. More Rooms next.